Thanks for tuning in to McNamara on Money, a podcast about all things financial. On this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's not the case with callers we may speak to on this show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Listeners to this podcast should consult their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions we might make. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Good morning to my brother and business partner, Justin McNamara. Morning. Good morning. We're talking about what risks are you willing to take? And Justin, again, so eloquently pointed out, we were talking about inflation risks that nobody wants to take inflation risk. Actually, probably (laughs) nobody wants to take really any of the risks that we're going to talk about today. But (laughs) I guess inflation is one of those ones that you really don't have a choice about. That's right. So it's just in all of our lives, no matter what. And but we can choose as an investor, we can choose to deal with it or not when it comes to are we going to take additional risks to try to battle inflation or not? And I guess before the break, I was just trying to I've had I just had a conversation this past week and it was top of mind. And I don't have these conversations very often with people that are in a position where they're not really relying on their retirement assets. I would say most of the people that I work with are relying somewhat on their portfolio to supplement their fixed income, to make their retirement work and to live the life that they want to live and that and meet the expenses that they have, whether by choice or by necessity. But right, but most, I would say, at least at the clients that we work with, most people are relying somewhat, hopefully not too heavily, but on their portfolio for income in retirement. They're pretty common. That's why. I th- I, so the only source of income, generally speaking, that's inflated that would keep up with expenses is Social Security. It's generally right. speaking, not, not covering right. all of your expenses. If it is great and good for you, that's that keeps up with inflation. If you have a pension, even folks with pensions, very often, if you run a long-term projection, unless you're spending well beneath what your pension is giving you in annual income, at some point, inflation is going to catch up with you and you're going to have to figure something out. Yeah, I would say it's a yeah. very rare breed where you have yeah. a conversation, a long-term retirement conversation about about portfolios lasting and not worrying about the inflation piece of it. It's just maybe a few clients in my in my lifetime, of, I'd say yeah. oh, you don't need to worry about inflation and you can just stick your money in the bank. If you wanted to, hopefully yeah. you're all in that convers- in that in in that bucket, but I don't think most people are. Yeah, I don't think so. All right, I feel like have we beat inflation to death, and should we move on to interest rates? I think so. Yeah, I think uh, yeah. Let's not do it. Let's. I think we have a few more to go here, so let's let's press on. All right, I wanted to talk about interest rates, in particular mortgages and like home equity lines. Because yep. again, I think this is another interesting time. It's very different from what it was a couple of years ago. Not in a good way for yeah. people with debt and homeowners with debts. So I was just pulling, I know I have a chart in my email somewhere about, hold on, current mortgage rates. Can you pull that really quickly? It's, I know they're in the range of 7%. I think, um, I, yeah, last, uh, really let's see, yeah, 6.99 was the last one I saw probably last week for a 30-year fixed non-jumbo. Okay, how about adjustable rates? Oh man, that's a detailed one. Let me see if I can Yeah, find it. I know I have it. We can't have too much dead air while we're searching for information here. I'm how 
awful of me to be unprepared. But I guess what I wanted to talk about. I can look for it. Yeah, I'll see. Yeah, I don't know. I'll check into it while you while you chat here. Hang on. Okay. So I guess what I wanted to chat about was, I guess in particular, adjustable rate mortgages and home equity lines, which are variable rate mortgages. Most of them anyway. I feel like I've heard of one or two fixed home equity lines of credit, but generally speaking, home equity lines, variable interest rate product. This is an interesting time to chat about those because for so long, we would talk about (laughs) interest rate risk, people that had balances on their home equity lines and the risk of taking that interest rates would go up and there would be harder to pay it when interest rates go up. It's harder to pay down debt because more of your payment goes to interest and less of your payment goes to principal. So people that have very variable rate products like a home equity line. That's just, and when interest rates are really low as they were for a really long time up until the last couple of years, we're taking that risk. But for how many years did we talk about that? Probably on air yeah. with clients about this risk. And for so many years, interest rates stayed low. So the risk wasn't, it wasn't very real to people for a long time. For, fortunately, yeah. right. For people that were carrying right balances of sizable balances on home equity lines due to whatever reason, renovations or college or whatever, fortunately for them. But now it's just so different because interest rates on home equity lines went from what, 2% to 7.5% in a pretty short period of time. And so now the risk is, it's in your face. It's very real. And I guess actually, you know, what would be interesting is if we pulled a calculator to give people an idea of a X balance on a home equity line and you're paying X amount and how long it takes to pay it off at different interest rates. That would actually be really, I can probably pull that up quickly. Okay. Uh, but then I also yeah, I can... want to talk about adjustable rate mortgages and how those are, I was, I quickly looked at some statistics and they've no, not surprisingly increased in popularity quite a bit in the last year or so. Yeah, I have uh, courtesy of Leader Bank and, and Andrew yes. Andrew Monaco. Andrew Monaco and yeah. Every week religiously he sends them. That's what I was actually looking for. Yeah, I just usually glance and delete. Remember but... how to how to spell yeah. Monaco in your email. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I get six point nine nine for a thirty year fixed five one arm six point four nine. Let's see, a ten six jumbo arm six point seven five percent. So it's not a huge savings. Okay. At least right now. Again, this, these are the kind of things, right? I'm looking at literally probably 50 of these things in my deleted mail, and I could certainly go back in time and they jump all over the place. Yeah. So that's what they are right now. Again, subject to change next week. So 690. So basically 7%. <laughs> did you say 7% for a 30 year fixed and 675 for an R, for an adjustable rate mortgage? Yeah. Yeah. Five one arm is 6.49. Oh, okay. It locks in for five years. I mean, a 10. A 10 Definitely. So ten six arm, which is a ten year lockup, is is six point seven five. Okay. So just for those listeners, an arm is an adjustable rate mortgage. When interest rates were really low, they, I don't think they were popular at all. From what I read, maybe two or three percent of the population had adjustable rate mortgages as of a couple of years ago. So an adjustable rate mortgage is like a five one arm is the rate is locked for the first five years. And then the rate will change on that fifth year. And then every year after the rate would change unless you refine based on current interest rate environment, unless you refinance out of that loan. Sometimes you'll see I actually hadn't seen this up until recently, like 
a seven, six arm, right, would be a seven year guaranteed period. And then it would adjust every six months after that. Um, So the first number is how many years it's locked. And the second number is how frequently it adjusts after that based on current interest rate environment. So I quickly looked and adjustable rate mortgages, again, just a couple of years ago, were a very small percentage of the loans out there for residential at two or three percent, I think. And but more recently, I saw a statistic that they were this calendar year, some like new mortgages written in this calendar year, they were in the nine, I saw a couple statistics, nine to 12% or something of newly written loans are adjustable rate. Uh, It ticked upward in popularity, no surprise, because they're a lower interest rate than a fixed 30 year or even a 20 or 30 year. So they're a lower interest rate, but again, you're taking that interest rate risk so like in a 5-1 adjustable rate mortgage, you're taking the risk that, so you get you would get a lower interest rate now than in a 30-year, but you're taking the risk that interest rates would be higher five years from now, and maybe your, your interest rate would adjust upward instead of down. But I think people yeah. taking out adjustable rate mortgages now are thinking, we're pretty sure that interest rates will be lower five to seven years from now. Yeah. Um, and their rate would adjust downward in that period of time, which which seems to be a reasonable risk to take. I, I don't know. Things don't always happen the way we think they're going to happen, especially in the markets and the economy. But I, that seems to me that they're more popular now for that reason. It's a reasonable conclusion to come to, especially because the Fed, for example, has said, you know, we're hoping to lower interest rates. We're hoping that this interest rate environment isn't where it is now for a very long period of time. But I wanted to give people just some yeah. perspective regarding how pay how uh, I, I have how that retirement you, has changed. Oh, you have it. Yeah, if you want to, I just I just gave an example, right? And again, this was a and we'll talk about the investment side of interest rates risk too. But here we're talking about yeah. kind of the cash flow end of it, right? Yeah. So if you're taking out a home equity line of credit that had a variable interest rate, let's just say we'll use a simple example, right? You you take out $50,000 to renovate a couple of bathrooms. I don't know how far $50,000 goes in today's market, but we'll just use 50,000. Yeah. We'll use a 4% rate and a $500 payment. That's about a 10-year payoff, right? So if, you're, yeah. if you borrow 50 at 4% and you pay back $500 a month, you're just over 10 years in what in when how long it's going to take you to pay that back. If you add, I, I don't think 6%, 6% would be awfully low for a home equity line right now. I don't think that's what yeah, it is. Yeah. If you go to 6%, you're up to 11.7, 11 years, seven months, right? So yeah. you add it about a year and a half at 8%, uh, you're almost at 14 years, right? So 13 years, 10 months. So you've essentially added three and a half years worth of payments, all else being equal, but in a jump from four to eight, which I think is probably in fairly in the ballpark. And I'm sure a lot of people are paying paying nine. I would have even said like two and a half percent to 8%, but in a couple of years on on home equity lines. What did you just say? 4% to 8% on that $50,000 home equity line added how many years? Four years? Three and a half years. Yeah. Three and a half years. Yeah. Which is a long time. Yeah. It's a long, it's a long time. At five hundred dollars a month, you think about it, you're adding what's that? Eight, almost more than twenty grand in actual payments. Yeah, yeah. Also, I don't know how much we want to get into. I feel like we're just going to depress people if we keep talking about this. But it's—I actually was just 
playing around with mortgage to be nerdy. It was playing around with mortgage amortization schedules. In other words, like basically we're talking about how long to, does it take to pay off a loan at certain levels of payments? And it's just that the numbers are just so different now in this interest rate environment than they were a couple of years ago. And I, I, man, we could, I, we could go on so many tangents with this and, and the real estate market and why there's such low inventory and why would people want to sell when they're in a two and a half percent mortgage, go somewhere and, and, and take out a 7% mortgage. And man, we yeah. could go on so many tangents here, but I was just playing around with even a small mortgage. Like, I think I was talking to a client who needed a relatively small mortgage on a on a home. And it was, we were looking at a $300,000 loan. And just a couple of years ago, if it was a 4% and we were looking at, sorry, I'm doing it live here while we're talking like a $300,000 loan at 4%, which is not what it is now, or even three and a half percent, like not all that long ago. Yeah. Off in 30 years, the payment was only was $1,350 a month. So this was, this particular client was looking at a second home. Yeah. Relatively small mortgage, $300,000. We were kind of like, stretch it out, keep the payment low. It's a second home. Then maybe they'll sell it in 10, 15 years, whatever. Uh, $1,350 principal and interest. A couple of years ago when they actually, this was a client that was actually started to look a couple of years ago in the interest rate environment was very different. Never found anything okay. to pull the trigger. And then we were revisiting the conversation. So now that $300,000 loan at 7% over 30 years is a $2,000 a month payment. So even like over a 30-year amortization payoff schedule is a crazy difference. And actually, it surprised me when I looked at that. I guess I hadn't in my mind on a relatively small but for mortgage balance, a relatively small mortgage balance, especially in this area of the world, that's a much bigger difference than I anticipated. Um, yeah. And again, I don't want to depress people too much. This is your real issues. Hey, you were doing a risk show <laughs> here. I don't know, I don't know what, what, what's the way around it, you know? <laughs> I would really depress people if I put in a $700,000 mortgage. <laughs> and, yeah. and that's, I'm sorry, I love, can I do that? Will you give me the permission to do that? Or is that just like really, is that just mean? To do a $700,000 mortgage? Yeah. Yeah, of course. That's the reality now. This I mean, is reality. So a $700,000 mortgage. This is a million dollar home with 300 down. Yep what a couple of years ago yeah uh, at three and a half percent 30 oh, year period of time yeah the principal and interest payment three thousand one hundred and forty three dollars a month pretty if reasonable do, for a big house like that yeah if i do that same payment sorry same balance now seven hundred thousand dollar mortgage at seven percent over 30 years I don't even want to say the number. Do it, do it. $4,657 principal and interest. So that's a 50% increase. Huge, yeah. That's a 50% increase in the in the monthly payment, principal and interest. Yeah. And it's not like real estate has come down. Nope. Real estate values no, certainly not. have not come down in that period. That is that is crazy. I guess we shouldn't go any further, but that is some real stuff. It, 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 it's crazy. And yeah, I keep 
it blows my mind when I talk to people that are either selling, buying, trying to buy or selling homes right now and that the real estate market is just still so crazy and bidding wars and cash buyers and knocking on doors. And it's crazy, but it doesn't surprise me that there's very low inventory because who that refinanced in the last few years is going to want to give up that payment (laughs) and take a 50% increase potentially, just for that example, Uh, That is crazy stuff. Yeah, hopefully. We were very spoiled by a very low interest rate environment. And maybe we never really get back there, which actually is probably not good for real estate inventory. But hopefully we'll, again, we could have another whole real estate. These things change, right? And you could have people that who were getting mortgages back in the 70s. You hear the old stories about their their 15% mortgages. And Um, we get through everything and we go through ups and, ups and downs in these markets. And hey, those people who buy that house, so we could look back five years from now and they've refinanced and their property value is up another 25% and they're, and everyone feels great about it. So it's not, it's not necessarily the end of the world. It's very difficult for a lot of people to get started, unfortunately, yeah. uh, which is, which is a shame, but these things do tend to move in cycles and we're just in a, we're in a difficult spot right now. Although I don't, I, hopefully we get through it and out of it soon, but yeah. who knows? Yeah. Yeah. No guarantees in life. No guarantees in life. Yeah. All right. I guess I didn't want, we've got a few minutes before the break, but is there anything else on interest without us? That was such a bright, shining comment right there, Dustin, and lifting everyone's spirits. Is there anything else? (laughs) Yeah. We didn't even talk. Interest rate risk was, there's a whole other side of it from an investment point of view. And when you have, when interest rates rise, right, you have a, generally speaking, a repricing of assets. Most obviously it's, in the bond world, right? Because a bond is sold with generally speaking, again, big generalizations here. We know there are, there are lots and lots of different kinds of investment products out there. Um, but a bond will be repriced based on current interest rates because new bonds that are issued will have a new interest rate. And if you have an old bond with an old interest rate, uh, you have, if you ever wanted to sell it, you have to be competitive with the market. So when people hear interest rate risk, it's, yeah, there's the cash flow end of it. And then there's also the investment end of it. Hopefully we've been through most of that in 2022. It was a terrible yeah. year for bonds. And, yeah. but generally speaking, interest rate increases will cause some havoc on some investments. Bonds yeah. specifically, and even stocks as well. Stocks are, it's a, it's the stock market is just a kind of a valuation of future cash flows. And if interest rates are up and other assets are more competitive to stocks, right? If you can go get 6% in a nice bond, maybe you want, you want fewer stocks. And so a stock would have to reprice itself. I don't know how much yeah. time we have. Left. I didn't, I didn't set my. We've got about three and a half minutes, but let's, okay. let's continue talking about bonds a little bit because. Yep. Yeah, because I find myself talking about them quite a lot and trying to reassure yeah. people that they still do have their place in a portfolio uh, yeah. for many investors. But it's been hard to be a, a, an investor with bonds in your portfolio for the last, well, it's been a long time. <laughs> so they haven't, <laughs> they, they were very low yielding when interest rates were low and they yeah. were low yielding for a long time. And that's hard for people because they weren't really contributing much to return of a portfolio, especially compared to how what they've done very long-term. They, un, in terms of their return and contribution to rate of return of a portfolio were lagging a bit the last several uh, decade or so, again, coming out of the credit crisis. And then an awful year last year because of the rapid spike in interest rates and what you're talking about in the repricing and and they didn't perform well last year having said that they didn't trend down as much as the stock market so right. they they're they've 
They've never really, in my perspective, been in a portfolio to con- really contribute much to the rate of return. They're in the portfolio to protect on the downside and to mitigate the downturn for investors that 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 can't tolerate or it's not appropriate for them to take to take as much stock market risk, right? And but so they're not really in your portfolio to to generate a lot of return. Having said that, it would be nice if they did contribute somewhat to the rate of return on the upside and also protect on the downside. Of course, we want the best of both worlds, right? Everyone does. But I do think it's been hard to be a bond investor, but I hopefully going forward it'll be a little easier now that there's that there that the yields are a bit higher and maybe they will contribute a bit more to return of the portfolio. Will they will they yield enough to outpace inflation? I guess that remains to be seen. Uh, but it should be easier on paper anyway to be a bondholder going forward. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it depends on, we got to a point, right, where we had downward trending interest rates literally since the, basically since the mid eighties, early eighties. Yeah. And that was helpful to a portfolio. Although we got to a point in the 2010s and even early 2020, when you had so little interest that it was hard to, it didn't contribute much to your return. And it was mostly just a, an increased risk. Um, where we go from here will depend on the directionality, but you're certainly better off now yeah. than where you were a couple of years ago. Yeah. I think, be, I think it'll be easier. Yeah. I think it'll be easier to be a conservatively tilting investor in the coming several years than it was yep. in the prior. And I, at least on paper, like in the grand scheme and real return and all that, yep. I don't necessarily think it'll be different, but it'll be emotionally easier for people. And that's important. It, it, as an investor, it's important to have the emotional comforts. Don't make mistakes and all that stuff. So that's an important as well. All right. We just need to take a break. We're talking about risks and different types of risks and inflation and interest rate risk. And we'll get into market risk, of course. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by my brother and business partner, Justin McNamara. Check us out on your podcast app, McNamara on Money. We turn all of our shows into podcasts every week. So we're just going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. When it comes to securing your financial future, trust matters. That's why McNamara Financial, a family-owned company, is here for you. As a family-owned company, we understand the importance of your financial well-being. That's why our team of expert financial advisors is committed to your success. At McNamara Financial, we take your trust seriously. That's why all our financial advisors are fiduciaries and certified financial planners, putting your best interests first. With our team of dedicated professionals, you can rest assured that you're receiving top-notch expertise tailored to your unique goals. Don't leave your financial future to chance. Trust McNamara Financial, where family values meet financial expertise. Visit our website or call us to schedule a consultation today. McNamara Financial, securing your financial future one step at a time. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, my co-host this morning, my brother and business partner, Justin McNamara. Good morning. Good morning. We're keeping it up during our risk conversation. I know. I had my third cup of coffee and then I (laughs) I was able to, I was excited about this topic, but I was definitely sluggish in the first few minutes getting going here this morning. But yeah, this is a, this is an interesting one. And I was just thinking, Justin, that we've been in business together for 20 years. 20 years. That's right. So you are, yeah. When, I don't know when your anniversary was. When was your 20th? This this year? Basically, my 20th anniversary. I don't remember my exact start date, but basically, this is my 20th anniversary. So it would be your 21st. 
Right. Wow. We're wow. That's time's flying. Yeah. Time is and I don't really remember. I don't remember when Dad first roped us into the radio <laughs> show, but I want to say it was like pretty quick. Eight. Oh, I, would, I would have said two thousand and five. I probably started on the radio show. So, and really? I, yeah, yeah, and I can remember. Oh, I can remember being so nervous. Of course, probably for the first year. And I remember <laughs> one time doing a show <laughs> with Bill Wilhelm. Oh, yeah, Bill Wilhelm. And he was hosting, and there was maybe one or two other people in the room. Dad wasn't there, I don't think. It was me and Bill, and I don't remember who else. And I remember just being so nervous and not having a lot to say. And I remember one time him being like, put put his hand over the microphone, slid it aside, and he was like, say something so people know you're here. <laughs> just to get that from Dad, too. Yeah. I was like, oh, I don't know what to say. <laughs> it was probably hard in, in your defense. It might have been tough to get a word in with Bill there. He's a good talk. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just as, as hard as it is to get a word in when I host with dad as well. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, now and now we can't, you can't shut me up sometimes. I know, it's come a long way. I it only took me 20 years, right? Now. <laughs> it only took me 20 years. <laughs> but on that note, this is our last week of our two hour show. McNamara on Money has been two hours for, we can't remember exactly how long but that was 19 i think he says 1990 maybe 1990. so that's so maybe we're at 20 oh. 23 years no oh my god no that's that would not. be 33 I mean, years, so Dustin. years. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was gonna say 92 but maybe you're right maybe it is 1990 so maybe this was 30 that was oh wow that's crazy 33 years that we've had a two-hour show we could, and... do that math. we could do the math on how many hours of radio we've provided to the to the boston area oh all right i'm gonna do that math. <laughs> But yeah, next week we're moving to a one hour show and again, falls under the heading of work-life balance. Very important for people in the last few years and achieving that. And Kirk and I and Justin have kids that are just at really busy ages. Very busy. Saturday mornings, like Saturday mornings, eight to 10 is like prime soccer playing time. And and of course, soccer season is most of the year now because when the kids are young, there's two of them. Yeah, every sport is all year round now. We so thirty three years times fifty two weeks a year times two hours. Fifty, 50 hours, yeah, that's thirty three thousand three hundred hours of shows. Four hundred and thirty two hours of of talk radio. But anyway, next week, starting next week, McNamara on Money will air between nine and ten a.m. live. So still the same time slot. We're just cutting the show down a little bit. We will also have some airtime during the week in the evenings and on Sunday morning. So still be lots of us on the radio, but we're cutting the live show down from one hour to two hours so we can achieve a little bit more work-life balance, which is so important for everyone and our family included. So we're not going away, just changing it up a little bit. And I'm pretty excited about that because it just be content will still be great. Just be a little bit easier for us to manage in our lives. And I'm going to argue that content might be a little bit better because it'll be, I think, easier to get folks for an hour. It's hard. It's a big ask these days to get another professional who probably has their own business, their their own work, their own family to say, hey, can you give us two hours right in the middle of the (laughs) day? It's just a big ask. So we're looking forward to being able to cast a wider net as far as potential guests. And we think that's going to just improve the quality of the show. So I think it's going to be maybe a little bit more concise, but in general, better. Yeah. 
No, I think you're right. And sometimes on a two hour show, we've got, maybe there's a little fluff in the content there. And then we have the meat of the conversation. <laughs> so maybe it'll just be like a little bit less fluff. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll just, we'll go on a five minute tangent about how many hours we've delivered over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's 137 right. straight days of content, right? If we have 330 <laughs> hours, yeah, 3,300 hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We were, we're talking about risks and what risks are you willing to take? We talked about we beat inflation to death again. We hadn't done that in like a whole year. So it was about time we talked about that. Interest rate risk. Yeah, we didn't depress people a little bit with that part of the conversation. Hopefully this is a temporary interest rate environment and hopefully interest rates will go down in the near future, hopefully for home purchasers and homeowners. And I don't know if we want to talk about anything else on interest rates. I just maybe wanted to quickly touch on annuities and insurance products as it relates to the interest rate environment. Yeah, um, sure. And I will I'll be honest that I I didn't really flesh out the this part of the outline for today. But I guess just in general, there are some insurance and annuity products that I guess let's talk about variable uh, a new insurance. Let's talk about insurance. We had a great insurance show recently with Guy yeah. uh, Ziriak. Did I get his name his name correctly? He I was believe great. it is Ziriak. Yeah, great. We'll confirm it next time we have him on. Yeah, insurance <laughs> professional. Yeah, he was great, and I looked forward to having him on again. But we were talking. We touched a little bit, and I want to get into more detail with him on a future show about variable products and like how they perform in different um, market and interest rate environments. And there are some insurance products where these variable products where there's project you're you, you're there's designed with some assumptions that that the the cash value will earn a certain amount and you'll pay in a certain amount and they'll last a certain length of time and the death benefit will be a certain amount and yep. and these those types of variable insurance products change some of them can change with with markets but some of them can change with interest rates and and this is a interest rate environment where, well, first of all, variable insurance products should be reevaluated over time because these assumptions change and you want to make sure that your variable insurance product will continue to perform as expected or do you, or if any changes need to be made. But this is actually, I guess, with the interest rates being higher, this is a, a period of time where some of these variable insurance products might perform better because earnings on cash value will be higher than maybe was expected several years ago. And so this, that's a good thing for variable insurance products. I think you you could just say, I don't know that we need to qualify it with variable, any insurance product. If you think about what you're doing, you know, what the process looks like is you're handing your money to an insurance company for something, whether or not it's a life insurance product, whether it's a a fixed annuity or some people just trade in. A $100,000 for a stream of cash flows for the next whatever it is, five years, 10 years, you name it. Operationally, what's happening is that money is going into the insurance accounts, whether it's their general fund or it it will depend exactly what they do with the money will depend on on the product. But what they're at that point in time, that's when they're getting to make their investment decision on how can we allocate this capital to our account? And if interest rates are substantially higher, then you're going to have they'll they're off because they're going to be investing at a higher rate, you know, in whatever they're buying in their bond portfolio or their balance portfolio yeah. stock and real estate. They're offer they're able to offer you a higher return, 
And, you know, that and the fact that they, if you weren't getting that higher return, you would just go to someone else. So the kind of, as interest rates rise, the competition to pull in those assets from the public increases. And then you just, you have a better return. I think the easiest way to explain it is just with a very simple insurance product, right? A few years ago, if you had just taken your money and traded it into an insurance company or just, or set up like a CD immediate annuity, you would have gotten a very low rate of interest. And now you get a significantly higher one. So when you're making that decision, it's just easier. I know we, we don't do a lot of, of annuities. We occasionally will have those discussions with clients, whether it's about Medicaid planning or income planning in general. But when you go back a few years, it was already, hey, when you make this irrevocable decision, because some of the products are irrevocable, did you want to do it at doing it when interest rates are 2% is in historically low is probably not ideal. So maybe it's not the time to do that. If you're doing it for income, maybe you wanted to wait. And so now things are significantly better, right? Because as we talked about, compounding 2% versus 4 or 5% over long periods of time is a significant improvement for you longer term. Nicely said. Okay. Yeah, I think you had your finger up. I thought you were going to throw a butt in there. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then you would just extrapolate that. Again, insurance, I think, is probably very much a specialty show, right? If we're going to, yeah. when we're going to dig into annuities or, or life insurance with variable life insurance with, with death benefits, any of the various types of living benefit annuities, right? That gets very complicated. And so exactly how a higher insur- a higher assumed rate of return uh, on the underlying investment product will affect that is it yeah. will be different product to product. But I think we can generalize across the board that if you're, if you're looking for a, a newer, product offered by an insurance company now versus a few years ago. It's a much, much better better time to do it. And where it goes from here, we don't know, but it's certainly better now than it was a few years ago. Yeah. Better to look into it now. Yeah. And maybe we should do some insurance specific shows in the near future. Yeah. And it, it is a good time now. If you're going to be attracted to or looking at insurance products, it is a better time now, as you said, to look into them because of the interest rate environment. But understanding those products and what's guaranteed going forward and what things might change in the future is really important as well, because things can be projected and sold in a certain way, but really right. understanding the contract and will that be, is that guaranteed in my future and stuff like that are, is really important because I think a lot annuities in particular, I, insurance products can be quite complicated. And I think oftentimes those are purchased without being fully understood by the purchaser yeah. the investor the consumer but because uh, they, they're quite complicated and sometimes i think intentionally but that's a yeah i was barons a, had a very good article on this a call i think it was a couple of weeks ago and i know you and i discussed it briefly but you know, j- just to illustrate the point of how complicated it is i think and i'm blanking on exactly how many it was but so barons did a write-up on annuities being more attractive based on the inter- new interest rate environment and they did a ranking of annuities. Oh, hey, if you're interested in this type of annuity, look at the, look at these ones and directing folks to what they thought were the best options. And I think there were five or six different categories of annuities that they were, right? It was their index-based annuities. Yeah. There were the annuities with living benefits. They were their yeah. fixed annuities. Yeah. There's their SPIAs, right? And so there are, it's a very complex. I think in general, it's we can generalize that it's better, but exactly how they work is something that you'll want to work with a professional on almost certainly because they are complicated. They are complicated. Yeah, we sh- we'll, and we'll have s- some shows on that topic in the future. All right. Yep. We've got about 15 minutes to tie up our discussion on risks. So I feel like we should talk about 
investment risk being the investment <laughs> professionals that we are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, in 14 minutes isn't probably enough time to talk about everything we want to talk about in the world of investment risk, but I think it's the one that's probably most well understood. So I think it's probably okay, right? When you start to throw in, when you say risk, when someone like you as an advisor says risk, I think most people are probably fairly sure what you're talking about, or at least have a good idea about it because they all of a sudden the stock market comes to mind and crashes and bear markets. So I think we can, I think we can wrap this one in 15 minutes. We'll see though. We've been chatty today. Okay. (laughs) We're chatty. All right. I think historical perspective is helpful, right? So we obviously have the very recent down market that we're not fully recovered from. I guess we're still in a down market technically. So I, but perspective is helpful. So I'm going off the top of my head here on the most recent downturn. So calendar 2022, if we use the S&P 500 as our benchmark for the stock market downturn in the US, I want to say it was down. You're just going, all right. 20% 20% last year? I can't remember. Yeah, 19, 19.44. Well okay, done. 19.44% yeah. last year. We have not recovered fully from that yet, but here we are. Let's see. Are we tw- 19 months into the, into, we're 19 months from the top of the, from the high, which was like early January, 2022, right? So we had actually, the calendar year return last year was about was 19.4%, but that wasn't the extent of the downturn because we had the downturn that started in January and went through mid-October, and then we right. recovered a bit before the end of the year. So the full extent of the downturn was closer to 25% from, from right, yeah. in terms of the S&P. So it was about 10 months downward fluctuation of about 25%, and then back up something in the range of 20, something in the range of 20% back up, but we haven't fully recovered from it. So to be determined how long it takes us to recover from this down market. But if we think it's helpful, when we talk about risk and investments, helpful for people to understand how bad does it really get? And we tend to talk in percentages. And I think actually it's uh, more impactful to talk in terms of dollars, but we do, but that's just hard because everyone's dollars are different. Easier to generalize and talk in terms of percentages. But it doesn't depend if you're talking about on the way down or up. <laughs> I don't oh, know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe if you're on the way down, maybe percentages are preferable to dollars, right? Because your your 25% could be $250,000. And then that might sound worse than 25%. Right. It depends. You're right. You're right. Everyone's right. different. Yeah. For, for wealthier investors, <laughs> it's easier to talk in percentages. You're right. It's not as scary. But actually, I think, but to that point, I think... In terms of really understanding what people can tolerate, I think it's more helpful to talk in dollars. Sometimes yeah. I, I say to someone who are trying to figure out what's a suitable portfolio for someone and they've got $100,000 of cash that they want to invest and we're talking about what, what's a suitable strategy. And I say, how would you feel if it was down 25%? And I think that's different from saying, how would you feel if your 100,000 was 75,000? And maybe it's more impact, again, the larger the dollars, yeah. the more impactful that conversation. How would you feel if your half a million dollars was down to $400,000? Yeah. I think it's easier to, that was only 20% down, but it's a more accurate way to assess someone's comfort level with risk. That's yeah, that's true. Yes. Yeah. When you're talking about yeah. what you can handle, certainly dollars are more realistic, which is why you tend to see folks who are who have accumulated more, maybe yeah. be a little bit more risk averse because 10% to one person is not 10. 10% to one person could be $100 or 1000 
Whereas it yeah. could be a hundred thousand for somebody else or even, yeah. you know, a million, right? Depending on what your what your nest egg looks like. But I think I think it's helpful for people to know, like I just had a client this past week. They don't have a lot of investment experience. And so they were trying to gauge what's like the worst it can be. I, I get, that's the best way I know to assess someone's yep. comfort level with risk. So I pulled some information from prior uh, market drops. And okay. so I, I pulled this information a little bit ago. You can tidy it up if we need to change anything, but um, okay. some notable market drops, right? So the most recent one we just talked about, the COVID market, the COVID downturn was February, started in February of 2020, mid-February, I want to say. Sounds right, yeah. Was something like, the we're talking about the S&P 500, it was down like 12% in a week. Yeah. And then there was like one day when it was down about 10% in like a day. And then over a six-week period of time, it was down 27% percent. It's one thing like we talked about last year from January to October to have a downturn in the range of 25%. The COVID market February of 2020 and it, it was like through it was like a 6 week period of time was down 27% in 6 weeks. Which is yeah. very different from being down 25% in 10 months. <laughs> and it's <laughs> It's in the COVID market, we had a very fast recovery from that one. And I think by it was like, so this was February and into March of 2020. But I want to say by June, July, we had the S&P had recovered. I don't know. I don't remember the exact date, but that was a very talk about volatility. That was a very short, volatile, crazy time in the market and really attest to investors that are that I guess I would say. It was a test to investors that are looking at it frequently, like the people that log in and look at their balances like every day. Good thing about the COVID market is that if people are looking at their balances every month or two because they get the paper statements in the mail, yeah, they like maybe <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure they heard it. It was barely it. noticeable if like, you really looked every quarter. <laughs> yeah, and there are some investors that look every quarter or something like that, and they might not have like really noticed or known how bad it was. And right. that's a good thing. And yeah. I know with with fraud and stuff like that. Like we're trained to pay such close attention to our money. And, and those are good habits. Check your bank account and your credit card balances. And these are all good habits. And then some people are just checking their investment accounts like every day, even under the heading of that's responsible because fraud is so common and pay attention to your money and all that. But it's not great for like investor behavior and like sanity either, right? If you're looking every day and that COVID market was a really good example of that because it was so fast on the way down and very volatile, but we but we had a very fast recovery as well. So the people that kind of weren't paying attention were or I yeah. were in a better place from a sanity perspective. And I think good successful investors don't look at their money very often. Or if they do, they have the emotional strength to not worry about it. I guess one or yeah. the other. Those are both good it, investors. 
Yeah. Should we push back a bit? Maybe we don't have time for this, but yeah, as far as your fraud comment goes, and I certainly understand, right? It's, I feel like every, every six months I'm floored by how good the fraudsters have gotten, whether they're just emailing me a bill that looks like a real bill or whatever it is. But I, I do feel like investment accounts tend to be fairly safe. Maybe that's just my experience. I do not have data to back that up, but obviously we have a lot of clients. And when we are, when we are dealing with fraud almost all the time, it's the bank account is directly involved. There's just, there there tends to be another layer of protection when you're in an investment account, at least to me. Are you okay with, are you okay with that statement? Oh yeah, absolutely. And we have policies in place regarding email fraud is the most common fraud in our world. And so we have in terms of email requests for money and, and same with the financial custodians, email requests are, they have, we have policies in place where we don't take uh, email requests for withdrawals. We have verbal confirmation and verifying that clients are who they are. Yeah. And the financial custodians have whole departments to deal with this and fraud is very common and they have a lot of policies in place to try to battle this. But yeah, I'm good with that. I don't I don't have any close experiences with with any of my clients being taken advantage of in that regard, other than if it was something they did on their own that right. led to it. But yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that. It's more common in the, unfortunately, more common in the debit card stolen kind of thing. And probably involving fewer parties, it would be easier, right? Because if you're going after an investment account, especially when it has an advisor, right? You're all of a sudden, now you need to dupe two separate people, which is probably a a much increased level of difficulty. So I just thought, I know you mentioned that fraud. I did want to make sure that we're all on the same page about it. I would tell you that if you felt... If you didn't feel like you needed to look at your investment accounts once a year, I'd say that's totally fine. I don't think you need to look at them from a fraud perspective. Yeah. And there are, like, I know the custodians have like very strict requirements regarding how checks can be payable and where they're meant to, and money can't be ACH'd or wired to, to accounts that don't exactly, registrations don't exactly match. There's like a lot of layers of secure there. And sometimes we get frustrated with all the paperwork requirements and the signatures needed for this, that, and the other thing. But really it's uh, at the end of the day is to protect the investor and their accounts. And so I understand it, but yeah, there's a lot of layers of security and restrictions regarding how assets, how money can come out of investment accounts. So yeah, good point. And we have done, and we should do a whole other show on that topic. And maybe it would be good to have one of the custodians on that talked about their procedures and protocols in that regard, because I know that they're very thorough. We should add cyber risk to our outline next time around. Cyber Cyber risk. risk, Got it. (laughs) All right. We actually, we only have a minute left, so we can't even finish our our market risk, investment risk. We we never do. All right. But real one more announcement real quick that this was our Thanks for listening. This was our last two-hour show. McNamara on Money is moving to a one-hour format. So starting next week, we're going to be airing live between 9 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Saturday morning. So that's great for us to achieve a little bit more work-life balance, but we'll still be here joining you, but just starting at 9 versus 8 a.m. We, If you ever miss our shows, we do have a podcast. You can search your podcast app for McNamara on Money. I think we're like on Spotify and Amazon and Apple. Oh, and, yeah, it should be on your favorite podcast app. Yep. Yeah. We're on my Spotify religiously. 
<laughs> so check us out there. You can, so you've been listening to McNamara on money. You can learn more about us and our business at McNamaraFinancial.com or McNamaraOfTheMerrimack.com. We do need to update that with all the new radio show information. That's on my to-do list. But that's it. We've got a wrap. Thank you for listening, everybody. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Join the sporting by my brother, Justin McNamara. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Have a good morning. Good morning.